Judges chapter 7, verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand within empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow the tr with the trumpet, I and all that are with, with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp. And say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle of the watch, in the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps with their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. We'll read half of Judges 7 and 22. And the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that you showed, you recorded this for us to learn from. I ask you, Lord, that the seed of the word will find fertile ground today, Father. It will minister to the hearts today, but Father, it will come back to us later on in life too. God, I ask you to move on each and every one of us and prepare our hearts, Lord, for this moment right here. God, I ask you to hide me behind the cross. Let me say the words that you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin today with giving you a little backdrop of Gideon. Wednesday night, if you was in here, the Lord gave me a word, and it was a great word out of the Bible, but it was just a, I don't know, it was a different spirit, different atmosphere Wednesday night, and uh, I got to laughing myself, it's kind of some funny things that, that happened, but Today I want to I look at this, and this is a, a more serious thing in our lives that we've got to understand and then apply to our lives. It's one thing to tell somebody how to do something. It's another thing to show them. It's another thing for them to do it. Right? I've got three boys. I can tell them to do something. But if I show them, it's even better. But then they've got to know how to do it. So sometimes you have to show them more than once. Most of the time, show them more than once. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites' power was too strong for Israel, so Israel began hiding out in dens and caves and mountain strongholds, protecting themselves from the Midianites. Whenever Israel planted crops, Midian uh, and the rest of their armies came and destroyed the crops. It was a bad situation. The Bible says the enemy came in like swarms of locusts with all their livestock and tents. They had so many camels you couldn't even number them. That's a lot of camels. You can't even count them all. 
So the Israelites were very poor from the Midianites because of the Midianites, but finally they cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent a prophet. I was reading chapter 6 this week, and I kept thinking to myself, why does it take us so long to cry out to the Lord? I'm hiding out in the tent, or excuse me, in the cave, in the dens, being attacked. Every time I try to do something, the enemy comes in and destroys it. Why does it take us so long to cry out to the Lord? I always come back to the same, I'm human. We do some of the silliest things as human. We try everything we can do in our own power before we cry out to the Lord. We try to do everything but cry out to the Lord. The prophet's name was not even mentioned here in chapter 6. He's an unnamed prophet. Lord, send us some unnamed prophets. Somebody come in and speak your word. Tell us exactly what we need to do. The prophet said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and took you away from slavery. I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and from the power of those who oppressed you. I forced people out of your way and I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You must never fear the gods of the Amorites in the land which you live, but you have not obeyed. Why well, you get the solution? Why you're in the mess you're in? You have not obeyed. The prophet's language traces the misery of Israel to their sins. He showed them the necessity of repentance and of the breaking off of their sins, especially the sin of idolatry. That's what's going to happen before there ever becomes deliverance. There has to be repentance. Has to be repentance before God's going to show himself strong. The Lord sent us a prophet that would declare the word of the Lord. Such a fashion of conviction falls on each and every one of us. A convicting power that convicts us of our secret sins. Nobody sees them. Dress them up in a suit and tie. Come here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Nobody knows. God convicts us. I don't have to know what's going on in Taylor's life. Miss Alma's life. Brother Tony's life. God already knows. I'm not here to judge anybody. God knows. He's going to be our judge. We need a word of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Then we see the messenger of the Lord appear to Gideon in chapter 6. And the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor. All right, this is the dude. He's hiding at the threshing floor. He's hiding because the Midianites are destroying the crops, so now he's hiding. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, Hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. I'm, I'm afraid I would have said that was sarcasm. It would have come out sarcastic. But God was speaking to him. We talk about it all the time. Don't let someone else tell you who you are. God says who you are. God tells us who we are. We're not going to believe what the enemy's going to say we are. Let God label us. Gideon said, put this in my own words, excuse me, sir. If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? I mean, I, I had trouble getting to my main point here because there's so much here to preach on. Again, God, if you're really in control of this issue, why am I still going through this? Why am I still seeing the symptoms of this? Why, why is this still happening? If you're in control of this, you've delivered me from this, why am I still seeing this? 
Sometimes when we look at the Bible, we think, boy, these guys are just dumb, or they did not, you know, they don't have a close walk with God, or whatever. We're just like them. We're just like Gideon. We're just like Peter. We want to cut somebody's ear off every once in a while. We're just like Gideon. We have a word from the Lord and instructions, and sometimes when it doesn't look like God is with us, we act just like Gideon. Where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? We've heard about them. We've seen the miracles before. We've heard about them in the past, but where are they at now? We start asking questions like, God, are you really with us? Are you really in control of this? Do you know our doubt and our unbelief says it, whether we open our mouth and say it or not? And sometimes we have a little bitterness about us. God, if you're really talking to me, then why am I going through the hardest time of my life? Gideon said, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. But now the Lord has abandoned us, has handed us over to the Midians. The Lord turned to him and said, you will rescue Israel from Midian with the strength you have because I am sending you. I find this funny here right here. The Lord, he didn't even answer his questions. How come this is going on? How come that's going on? He doesn't even answer that question. He just says, yeah, whatever. Hey, you're going to deliver the Israelites. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer every question? Sometimes he'd have to slap us. I know he would. You ever seen somebody just panic, panic, panic? You just want to slap them, get them back, you know, their senses. I only see that on the movies. I've never had an opportunity in real life to try it, but one of these days I'll be ready. Don't panic in front of me. It may be my time. <laughs> when we get a word that's as blunt as what Gideon heard, we should never question God again. And it's easy for me to say, isn't it, Brother Mike? It's easier for us to say, that. I've seen God do things in my life, and I know he did it. But yet when something else comes up, what's the first thing I have? Fear comes over me. Well, how is it? Well, God, why are we doing God, what? Start asking questions again. We get a blunt word for God. We should never question God again, but we do. When God says, I'm sending you, we need to say, yes, sir. I got you. Gideon still hasn't learned. He says, how can I rescue Israel? Look at my whole family. It's the weakest in Manassas. And me, I'm the least important member of my family. God, my shortcomings, all the things I've got going on, how in the world would you choose me to lead Israel? I'm short. <laughs> I'm not strong like everybody else. Our family, they're, they're the, the, the little guys in this place. You're going to use me? How many has ever been used to God and thought to yourself, God, you used me? I said that this week. I said, if God can use me, he can use anyone. It's the truth. We sing a song like that, but it's the truth. He can use Miss Alma. He can use anyone. He can use Brother Ed. He can use anyone. Some of these people are more talented than I am. I know my frailties, and, that, and each of you know your frailties, and that's where we're at. We're like, God, you, you're talking to me. You want me to rescue? You want me to do that? You want me to play that instrument? You want me to, to preach in front of this congregation? God said, I'm sending you. I don't think I'm to that page. I told this story to a few people, and I may have mentioned it a couple weeks ago. God's presence flooded 
I use bad grammar all the time, flooded into my truck a few weeks ago. I wasn't being spiritual. I wasn't meditating on the word. I was driving from the church up to Lee Blom, turning right, going down Lee Blom, about a mile from here maybe. I was thinking about business I've been taking care of. And I'm just, I'm honest with you guys. I wasn't thinking about God or anything. I was just thinking, I took care of that. I mailed that. I did this. And God's presence come in my little truck. And I've got this little bitty 1996 Nissan. Who knew God would like to be inside that car? He, I don't know if he ever drove one or not, but he was driving that day. He climbed into my truck so strong that it felt like, I know this is so weird to say, but it just felt like the truck just kind of squatted down, and I was waiting for the windows to bust. His presence was so strong. How many of you ever felt the presence of God like that? He just brought you to your knees. The problem was I was driving. That's not a good spot to get on your knees. I felt chills running up down my spine. His presence was in there. And immediately, guess what I did next? Cry. Everybody knows I'm going to cry the presence of God. I went to crying. And again, trying to drive. I'm wiping my eyes. I'm glad it's only 30 miles an hour up there because I was barely moving by this point. And I was probably doing about 10. I was like, God, what in the world's going on? I was that quickly in the presence of God. He began, he began, began to speak to me some definite things that are coming to pass in this church. And the first thing I said was how. God comes into my truck. This is all in a 10 second period. Overwhelms me in my truck. The spirit of God falls on me. So I just begin to bawl. And he speaks these words to me just like that. And I, my, the first thing out of my mouth cried, how? And immediately I was rebuked. You trust me and you have faith. that I will do the work. So I relate to Gideon. God says you're going to do something. Wow. We don't see it, but God does. You know what? He doesn't want us to see it because he wants to do it, not us. He wants to do it through us. Obedience is what he's asking. When will we ever hear the voice of the Lord and simply listen and obey? My first reaction should have been, Yes, I believe it. Amen, Lord. Is that today? I should have been that excited about it. But I let the flesh immediately open my mouth. God didn't give me instructions yet. He told me what he's going to do. He didn't tell me what I'm supposed to do yet. I may not have to do anything, but I may just sit back and just watch God. It'll be a God moment. God spoke a miraculous word to me without hesitation. I was crying, asking God how. Well, we need to just trust and obey God. Gideon didn't see any qualifications in himself or his family for him to rescue his people. Gideon, then Gideon, he needed a sign that God was really speaking to him. That sounds like the church world today. I've told a million times this story. I was sitting up here playing bass guitar one night. And the Lord told me to come over here about where Sister Donna said and pray for a young lady. And I was like, oh, that's just me. That's not God. So I sat there and God touched my heart again. He said, go pray for her. He 
He said, matter of fact, go over here and get Brooklyn, and you go back here and pray for this, this young lady. Okay? I'm like, that's me, that's me. And finally, God tells me again the third time. I said, God, if this is really you, then have Parker, he's sitting right over here, have Parker look at me, and I'll have him come play bass and do it. And I looked over at Parker, and Parker had the bug-eyed, look, dumb looking, looking right at me. I was like, what is he looking at me for? I knew it was God. Sad so Parker come up. I went down, got Brooklyn. And Brooklyn was just worshiping. I said, Brooklyn, I said, let's go over here and pray for this girl. And she goes, yeah. She's all over. I went over there and I said, pray for her. We just laid our hands on And this girl went to sobbing and had such an experience with God that night just because obedience was taking place. And again, obedience is not the third time. It's the first time. God went ahead and used us, even though I was disobedient. We need to be obedient the first time. But Gideon needed to sign. And so he decided to put out a fleece. Before I get there, though, the same night the Lord said to Gideon, tear down the altar dedicated to the god of Baal and cut down the pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah. That is next to it. Then build an altar the proper way unto the Lord your God. The next morning, the men wanted to kill Gideon for tearing down the altars of their false gods. Then Joash, the father of Gideon, tells everyone that if Baal's God, let him defend himself. And by the way, whoever wants to defend Baal will put you to death. That's some pretty harsh for us. I'm, I'm not really standing with them today. I don't want to die. All of Midian, Amalek, Kadim combined their armies, crossed the Jordan River, and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. The Lord gives Gideon strength and he summons the people to follow him. Then Gideon says to God, you said that you would rescue Israel through me, so I want to test something out. So Gideon puts some wool on the ground, asks God, if it's really you that's telling me these things, then let there be dew on the fleece and the ground be perfectly dry. So basically he's throwing a piece of material out there. I want the material wet. I want the rest of the ground dry, no dew on it. If you're really telling me this, God, you do this for me. That's exactly what happened. The next morning, there wasn't any dew on the ground, but the fleece was soaked with dew, so much so that he squeezed a bowl full of water out of that fleece. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. That's the way we are. God, I know you did prove it to me. You told me, and I put something out there, you said, yeah, don't be angry with me. Let's do this again. This time, I'm going to throw the fleece out, and let's make the fleece be dry and the whole ground be wet with dew. And the next morning... Happened again. Sounds silly when you say it like that. What? God already proved it to you. Why are you doing it again? But that's the way we are. That brings us to chapter 7. It's where we see Gideon had 32,000 men now following him. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to hand Midian over to you. Israel might brag. You know, they did it of themselves if you go into battle like that. I read somewhere where they were fixing to go into battle against 135,000 men. And they only had 32,000 to begin with there, following Gideon. Anyway, God says that's too much, so he announced to the troops, whoever is scared or frightened should leave the mountain and go back home. So 22,000 left. So now we see Gideon's down to 10,000 men. The Lord said to Gideon, that's too many. That's still too many. Let's take them down to the water. The ones that lap like a dog to get a drink, we're going to send them home. 
ones that bend down, cut their hand, get water and drink it up, and they're still watching. That's the ones we're going to keep. 10,000 men went down. 300 is all they kept. 300. 300 men got to drink with their hands to their mouth. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men, I will save you and the Midian over to you. Send all the other men home. So he did. Verse 9 of Judges chapter 7 says that that night the Lord said to Gideon, attack and go into the camp. I'll hand it over to you. The Lord always has a plan. He always has a timing for that plan. He always has a way to make it happen. Gideon then divides the 300 men into three companies. He takes charge of one of the companies. He puts some other uh, soldiers in charge of the other two companies. And you remember, they're all down on the other side of the Jordan River. They're fixing to go over there and attack them. But here's what Gideon did. Gideon's going to surround their whole camp. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with an empty pitcher and lamps inside the pitchers. These pictures were clay pictures. We're talking about, I always have a problem with pictures and pictures. A picture is what we take, and a picture is what we pour tea out of if you drunk tea, which I don't. No doubt the Lord would give them instruction on exactly what to do. And obviously, there is some serious symbolism here. The trumpet symbolizes a testimony. The trumpet symbolizes the word of God. Excuse me. The trumpet symbolizes in the word of God a voice or a testimony. And they had a testimony. Their testimony was God is with us. Their testimony was our God is mighty. And their testimony was our God answers prayers. You remember in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation where it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. They were using their mouth, the word of their testimony. Your testimony of the salvation of our God and his transformation power in our lives is very powerful. Trumpets or ram's horns are represented are always representing praise and worship in the Bible as a form of spiritual warfare. I've heard it said time and time again, never go into battle with your mouth shut. Brother Burl used to preach all the time about David. <laughs> Don't go with your mouth shut. Run at your enemy, yelling at him. When we're facing difficult times or confusing decisions to make, open up your mouth. Begin to praise the Lord. I told you about the first weapon, which is the trumpet. I'm going to jump to the third weapon. It was the lamp or the torch within the jar. The flame of God within. This lamp was really a flame. It wasn't a lamp like we might think. It was a flame inside a pitcher. <laughs> a burning wick inside a pitcher. It was really the flame of God. I believe it was the representation of the same flame that resides in every believer today. Matthew 5 and 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, 
and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As Christians, we talk about shining our lights out, letting them go out into the darkness. Sometimes we wonder, how do we do that? Verse 16 of Matthew 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Good works is one of them. And glorify the Father which is in heaven. Open your mouth. Glorify the Father. Praise and worship the Father. And now I'm going to backtrack to the second weapon. It was a pitcher or a clay jar. We noticed that the pitcher, and it was a pitcher made out of clay. It makes me think what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I like the God's word translation on this. It says, our bodies are made of clay, yet we have the treasure of the good news in them. This shows that the superior power of this treasure belongs to God and doesn't come from us. I love that. I believe the breaking of the jars of the pitchers is very symbolic of what God wants to do in us in order for us to see victory. I heard a preacher preach one time. He said, if it won't break, don't bring it. If it doesn't break, don't bring it. Whenever we allow something that we are holding on to or something that's part of us to become broken before God, then his power goes to work in our situations. He starts breaking down obstacles and sending fear into the enemy's camp. That's exactly what was going on. The Gideon army stands around all these men, surrounded all around. They're waiting on Gideon to give the orders and follow what he does. He starts blowing the trumpet, breaks the pitchers, holds the light up. These guys are all asleep. They're all laying down. I'm going to tell you, if somebody walked in my room and did that, which Cardin does sometimes just without the pitcher and the fire. And he come in there last night, I was asleep. I just feel his presence standing there by me. I look up and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, can you hear that noise? I said, I didn't. What, what noise are you talking about? He said, there's a brake noise. I said, no, I don't hear no brake noise. I got a fan blowing. I don't hear no. So I got up and of course it was his brother in his room watching TV. Wow, he woke me up for that one. That's where I get for going to bed early, like 10.30 at night. It's already asleep. If we stay broke in this condition, stay in a broken position, you're saying, God, I'm allowing a part of me to become broken as a symbol of what, what I want you to do with your anointing through me. I want you to break through for me. So I allow my brokenness to come into my life first. If it won't break, don't bring it. There's even more significance to the jars being broken in Judges 16. It tells us that the lamps were inside the jars. We already covered the lamps. He said he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. In order for the enemy and everyone else in the vicinity of Gideon's army to see the light from the lamps, 
the jars and the pitchers covering them had to be broken. For people outside these church walls to see Christ in us, we have to be broken. We have to be broken. When we allow ourselves to become broken before our God, the world no longer sees our pride. They no longer see our shortcomings and faults. They see Jesus. The light of Jesus will draw all men, women. We have his light inside us. Why not allow something of ours to be broken and become nothing but a pile of rubbish so that his light can be seen radiantly from us, radiating from us to the world? Shelly, would you come back? I think it's interesting that the lamp, for the lamp to show its light, the clay jar has to be broken. What are we made of? Dirt? Clay? Dust? Isn't it amazing that they had to break the clay jars to let the light shine? We have to be broken. We have to be broken to let our light shine. In order for our light to truly shine bright for the world to see, we have to be broken. We all have a testimony, a story, if you will. We all are examples. How God takes broken things and does amazing work through us. It's really amazing how God takes the brokenness of our lives and he uses it for his glory. The army of Gideon they blew their trumpets, broke their clay jars, their light burned brightly, and then they declared the word or the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And that declaration right there was their war cry. We need to have a war cry. We're broken. We're letting the light shine out to a lost, dying world. Our declaration needs to be Jesus, Him crucified. The cross being the solution for salvation. Fear already gripped the enemy. With the shouting, the glowing lights from the broken pitchers, along with the blowing of the trumpets, they imagined all sorts of things, which is exactly what the Lord intended. The Midianites thinking that enemy was upon them, not being able in the darkness to distinguish a friend from foe. Mistook their own people who were running and pursuing from pursuing Israelites and fell upon and killed one another. I believe the Lord would say to us today, if you want victory in your life, if we want victory in our church, we must be broken. We have to stay in these altars and continue to be broken before God. Be broken before Him. I always thought growing up, it's the hardest thing for a man to be broken. I did. You see me now, you think, there's no way you thought that. I did. I thought it was the craziest thing for a man to cry, to be broken before the Lord. It's exactly where God wants us. It's exactly where God wants us. He can minister to us when we're broken. We put everything to the side, come before God and just talk to Him. 